Welcome back, beloved. I am so excited about today's message. Uh, For one reason or another, over the last two or three weeks, I just can't get away from the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, and then there's also a parallel parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. And so what I'm going to do today is go through the whole parable with you and the backstory, you know, the announcing of the parable and why Jesus speaks in parables kind of quickly. And then we're going to camp and break down each type of the seed uh, that is sown. And it's a different type of person, right? And so some are genuinely saved, some are not. So it's a very serious parable. It's a very important parable when it comes to evangelism. If you're going to evangelize, you really want to understand the parable of the sower. So I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to fastly, quickly read through the entire parable, just stopping on some key points, and then I'll slow down as we start to break it down. So uh, Matthew chapter 13, he spoke many things to them in parables. He's speaking to a large crowd, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, and those seeds, they, they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. That's extremely important. No depth of soil. We're really going to break that down. When the sun had risen on these ones that had no depth, they were scorched. They had no root. That's important as well. And they withered away. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then the the disciples go over and they ask Jesus in Matthew 13, why are you speaking to them in parables? And this is so important for us to understand. Those who are true disciples of Christ, Jesus speaks to the world right now uh, and to the entire believers and non-believers alike in parable, or excuse me, non-believers in parables. And they never dig in to see what he's really saying. And so the truth is hidden from them because they don't really care about the truth. So they just keep the parable on the outside. It looks very soft. It looks very well-rounded out. You can pretty much draw any moral lesson. But then look, scripture shows us the disciples dig in. They've got to know, like, what, what does this really mean? If you really believe in Jesus, we need to know what he's saying here. This has dire consequences. And so Jesus tells them, to you it's been granted, I like the word gifted, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. And when Jesus finishes his parable, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy, after the giving of the law and the prophecy that Israel would fall away, God tells them, he says, to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. So the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. If you're in Christ today, he's given you eyes to see and ears to hear his word. And so he tells them, he says, you know, they don't have this gift. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, this is so important. The prophecy of Isaiah, this is prophesied in Isaiah, is being fulfilled, which says, you're going to keep on hearing, but you won't understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. And this is the utter, utter danger of false religion. False religion, Catholicism, false forms of Christianity, 
the word is there. They're preaching the word all the time. They're not really teaching it and digging in, but they're using scripture all the time. They're tweeting scripture. They're putting it out all the time. However, they don't really understand it. So it's so important. And this is why they don't understand it. They're not lacking anything intellectually. It's not that they need to study it a little more. It's their heart. That, that's, the soil is the heart. It says, For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they've closed their own eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. That's really important to remember. Understand with your heart, with the very seed of your desires you understand. And you return, you repent, and I would heal them. And so very, very important. I wanted to give you the background to the parable before. Now we're going to jump into the meat of this video. Jesus explains his own parable, both in Matthew 13 and in Luke 8. And we're going to draw parallels. It's very important. I would highly recommend go read Matthew chapter 13 right now and go read Luke chapter 8. Pause this video and then come back. The parallels give give us greater bandwidth and greater depth into what our Lord is teaching here. Because Luke chapter 8 and Matthew 13, they're not different parable of the sower. They're two separate eyewitness accounts. And so you get more and more details as you sort of join them together. That's what I love about scripture. It's right there in front of you in Matthew 13, but by, by combining it with Luke 8, we go really deep into the meaning here, and I just love doing that, and I, I hope you enjoy it as well. Um, so, so Matthew 13, we're going to start. He's now explaining. Jesus is explaining the parable. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. And this is only for the disciples. This is why I get so excited. If you're in Christ, like be excited. Like These words are for you, just like when Jesus was speaking. It was only for the disciples. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, in Luke, he says, the seed is the word, right? The gospel. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, the devil, comes and snatches away what has been sown. That's the, the birds that were eating the seed as soon as it fell, right? Uh, they snatch away what's been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Okay, and what I'm basically, uh, you know, I'm not dogmatic about this, but this would appear to be somebody who just pops into church or randomly hears something or perhaps a Buddhist or, or Hindu. This is not an apostate. This is not somebody who grew up Christian. This is somebody who heard the word and didn't really understand it. It didn't take much effect at all. It actually says specifically that, that he does not understand it. In Luke chapter 8, very important, in Luke chapter 8, uh, Jesus says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word. This is very key from their heart. So these people do not understand the gospel, but they also don't desire it. That's what's key. Like the, the unbelieving world, it's not just that they don't understand it. The word's not in their heart. They don't really desire it. And this is really scary stuff. It says, the devil takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. And so this parable is talking about the very salvation of our souls. Now, we know the devil can't actually take away the saving work of Jesus Christ. I believe what he's doing here is the devil. You know, I'm, I'm not the devil. I don't know exactly how he works. Scripture gives us all we need to know about him, but we know he's working against the gospel. And so he's probably using all manner of temptation immediately when people are around the gospel or before they hear the gospel. I know I underwent some, some temptation and tribulation 
right before I got saved, like as I was coming to saving knowledge of Christ and I can, you know, I can understand why, right? But here's the big, here's the big takeaway. These people do not understand the word intellectually and they do not desire it in their heart. It is not in their heart. That's what we need to take away from this seed. And you can line this up with 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, if our gospel is veiled, if, if, if it's not understood, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And in that case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light. Jesus said, I am the light. The light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They have no idea that Jesus is God. They have no idea his gospel, that he died for our sins, that he's fully man and God. They don't understand it. They don't desire it. The devil has blinded them. Okay, Second, And then going on once again to say that they don't desire it, it's not in their heart. Paul says, we're, we're true believers. We're the fragrance of Christ. We're the perfume, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, that's an aroma from death to death. It's the very stench of death. When they hear the gospel, uh, the wicked one takes it away right away. They don't care to understand it. It's offensive to them. But to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Who, who knows, right? Like this is Nobody is worthy to serve Christ, but by the grace of God, we, we are what we are, right? And so that first seed is, is very, very important. The seed never takes root. It's immediately eaten up by the birds. The devil blinds their eyes. Uh, this is, you know, perhaps somebody who's at a pro-abortion rally and there's a street preacher there, right? And they're angry and the street preacher's preaching. They never, they never even go past the surface, right? That's just an example. There's a thousand ways to be that seed, but I just, I'm trying to give you guys an example to learn. Now, this next one, this is the crux of the video. This is the seed that I believe is most prevalent in the West right now. This is what I believe is assaulting the church. This was really the bedrock of, of me really studying this parable over the last two or three weeks. And so serious, serious moment here. Like, pay attention. This is huge. If, if you don't see the massive um connection here between how dangerous our emotions are it, it's not that it's not there it's just that i haven't explained it properly so i just i hope you your ears are open and ready to hear this matthew 13 verse 5 says others this is a different type of seed fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil remember when i was reading it out it's they didn't have much depth they didn't have much soil immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rises, they were scorched. The sun is tribulation, affliction. In Zechariah 13, God's talking about his people. He says, I'll bring the one-third through the fire, right? And they will call on my name. Through that tribulation, temptation, the true faith of God that he gifts to people is put to the test, and his saints look beautiful. But if you don't have the true faith, if you're not really born again, if you don't have faith in Jesus, when that sun comes, when that scorching comes, you fall away. It's because you don't have any root. They wither away. And so when Jesus explains this, he says, this is the one, and this is huge, the one you know that was sown on the rocky places, this is the man, this is massive for you to understand this, who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. What? Like, just try and understand that for a minute. Hold on. 
This person hears the word, he's got an intellectual understanding of it, he immediately receives it with joy. Now I want to be clear, this is the only seed where any emotion is mentioned. There is not one emotion mentioned in this entire parable, Matthew 13 or Luke 8. This is the only time the Holy Spirit uses an emotion. And it's in this seed that immediately receives the word with joy, but he has no firm root in himself. He, he's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is very, very scary. Because right now in America, all throughout the West, and even in Africa and all throughout the world, you have a massive amount of people being drawn to false teachers with fog lights and worship services that look like concerts. In Africa, you have a lot of false healing, like witch doctor type stuff going on. And people are receiving some sort of word and they are receiving it with joy, but they're receiving the Jesus that just does whatever you want him to do for you. They're, they're, not, they're, they're shallow. They have no depth. And that's a massive problem because basically it's not about how big your church is or how big your ministry is. That, that doesn't mean anything. If everybody falls away, right? It's not about how many people are on the church roll. It's about how many people are genuinely born again, how many people are in Christ. And, and only God can do that. We can't, but we have to preach the word faithfully. Luke chapter 8 gives us a little more insight into this. It's, you know, other seed fell in the rocky soil. Uh, it withered away immediately. But here it says, they had no moisture. They had no water. They had no sustenance. And then when he explains the parable, he says, these are the ones who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. They have no firm root and they believe for a while. And this is key. In time of temptation, they fall away. And so I've taken the major statements of Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 8, and we can combine them and basically say this, that the Christian that falls away, when we're talking about falling away, you need to understand, the Bible says before the Antichrist comes, 2 Thessalonians 2, there will be a great falling away. Like th that is what is coming. The time is coming when people will turn away from, their tr from the truth and turn aside to myths and heap up teachers based on what their lusts tell them to do. We are living in those times. And I believe one of the main reasons we are living in those times right now is because you have a massive amount of people professing Christ who do not possess Christ. Like you have to understand, you cannot lose your salvation. Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. And he says, I give my sheep eternal life. So in order for there to be a great falling away, you need a lot of people professing some sort of Jesus, but that don't actually have that root. They're not genuinely born again. And so in Matthew 13 and Luke 8, we have this picture of the emotional choice for Christ. Something you did, you were whipped up in your emotions, you made a decision, but there's no firm root. And this is supposed to cause fear in us. We're supposed to examine ourselves and fear the word of God and tremble before it. This is scary stuff. Now, I'm not trying to make any Christian doubt his salvation, but we're all to examine ourselves, test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. So if we put it together... Matthew 13 and Luke 8, the, the false, shallow, emotional salvation is no depth. It's a shallow relationship with Christ. No moisture, no sustenance, scorched by the sun. When trials and tribulations come, they fall away. They wither away because they're dry and have no moisture. They have no real relationship with Christ. 
they immediately receive the word with joy and they receive it with gladness, but they have no firm root. They're temporary. They fall away due to temptation, affliction, and persecution. So a, a sin, and I've seen this and it broke my heart. I've seen people fall away from sin, for sin. And I'm begging you, brother, don't do that. I've seen people fall away, uh, you know, for sexual immorality. Um, if affliction came to America right now and persecution came, how many Christians would fall away? How many pastors would fall away? This should cause us to fear. And so part of the, like part of what Jesus is saying here, when he said, what does it mean? They have no root. What does it mean? They have no moisture. What it's, it's basically just another way of saying again and again and again, they don't have Jesus. They don't have the true Jesus of scripture. They don't know him. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the true root. He is the source of the good fruit, right? And he says, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch. He dries up. That, that's why these plants wither away. They don't abide in Jesus. They don't abide in the teaching. They gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. Revelation 22, talking about moisture and talking about the root, Jesus says at the end of the Bible, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root, the, the creator, the originator, and the descendant of David. The bright morning star, one of the messianic titles of Jesus is the root of David. He's the root. You need the root. And then the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come, come to Christ and let the one who is thirsty come. There's the moisture. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I'm, I'm not here to preach to you a works-based self-righteous salvation. Salvation is a gift, but if you have been given the gift of God, it comes with much water. Jesus said, if you believe in him, out of your mouth will flow rivers of living water. You're, you don't lack moisture when you've been born from above. That's not how it works. Now, not everyone has the same amount. I understand that, but you don't wither away. You don't die. You have moisture. You have the water of life. You, you don't fall away when the scorching comes. You cling to the rock, right? And so this emotional salvation, uh, you know, specifically the Holy Spirit indicating the only time we hear of the, even the seed that is a true Christian and bears fruit, it doesn't say he receives it with joy. Now, now the fruit of the Spirit is joy. But godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces salvation. And so it's very important. I told you we're going to camp out on this emotional thing. You know, how, how do we go from an emotional decision? Because if you're evangelizing, and you should be, you should be. We're called to be. I can't tell you what to do with your life, but I can tell you that that's a very worthy, if you have any free time, that's a great way to spend it. And so if you are evangelizing, you're going to meet a lot of people claiming Christ. And a lot of them, unfortunately, when you walk them through the gospel, they're not going to understand grace and they're not going to understand sin and they're not going to really talk about Jesus at all. And so how do we go from an emotional decision for Christ to one rooted in the truth, a sure word, something that where you have an assurance of salvation. Count the cost. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus was not trying to gather a big following. And I would say to you today, he's not trying to gather a big following today. He's not going around to the world and just saying whatever people want to hear to get as many followers as possible. He's devoted to the glory of God. He is God. Large crowd, in Luke chapter 14, large crowds are going along with him. And this is what he turns and says to them. This is key. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, 
and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. What? What? Can you imagine nowadays in evangelicalism? Like if somebody follows you, you're just like, yeah, say a quick prayer. Congrats, you're a Christian. No, no, no. That's not how Jesus did it. Large crowds. He says, if you don't hate your family comparatively to me, you cannot be my disciple. Now he commands us in other places, love your wife, love your children, love your enemies. So what he's saying here is compared to our love for him, Jesus must come first. And if Jesus is not first in, in your life and your, your wife is first or your mother is first or your children, anything, you cannot be his disciple. That's going to turn a lot of people away. John chapter 6, when Jesus was teaching hard truth, many of his disciples, it said, turn, like let, many of the people following him, not his disciples, left and walked away. And then Jesus goes on to say, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is about denying yourself. It's not just about Jesus paying your rent this month. It's not just about Jesus healing you of some sickness. Yes, Jesus heals. And yes, Jesus provides. And yes, there is so much joy in fruit in following him. However, the root of Jesus is that he is a sacrifice and a pardon for my sins. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's why you go towards Christ. It's repenting of sin, realizing you're under condemnation. And that's why you love Jesus for who he is, not just what he gives us, right? And, and those benefits are great and they're glorious and they're gracious, but they're not why you don't follow Jesus just for the bread. He, he, he you know, he denounced people. He said, you're following me just for the bread, just for the provision. So he says, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Now, we don't understand a cross like they did. We, we understand it now, but that's like saying, pick up your electric chair and follow me. Like, pick up the instrument that is going to kill you. He's offer, He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And then he goes on to say, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? calculate the cost. He's saying, don't just make an emotional decision and whip yourself. I'm doing it. Today is the day. This is it. No, no, no. Count the cost. See if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation for this building, this tower he says he's going to build, then he's not able to finish. And all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Remember Lot's wife. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back, Jesus said, is not fit for the kingdom. Lot's wife turned back to Sodom. She was out of Sodom, but Sodom was not out of her. And she turned back, pillar of salt and a witness of apostasy. Second Peter talks about people who turn away from Christ after having a knowledge of the truth. And he says it's better if they had never known the way of salvation. And I believe this is what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, count the cost, because if not, people will ridicule you when you half build. Jesus is not preaching a works-based salvation. He's saying, count the cost. Do you really have what it takes? Do you really have faith? Have you been born again? Examine yourself. He goes on to say it again. What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, would not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and, and he asks for terms of peace. He, he begs for peace. Jesus is saying, once again, count, you don't go to war without counting the cost. You don't build a building without counting a cost. Jesus is saying, 
don't follow me without counting the cost. He says, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, that doesn't mean as soon as you believe in Jesus, you throw away everything you have. What it means is you don't have authority over it. If Jesus wants you to throw it all away, you'll throw it all away. Jesus wants you to keep a ton of it or some of it, you will. Jesus wants you to give up a job, you will. Jesus wants you to work in a job, you will. Jesus will lead your life. Repentance is surrender. It's surrendering of the will, surrendering of the mind, and that always uh, you know, results in the actions. And so, yes, Jesus is saying, if you follow me, it could cost you everything. It could cost you your life could cost you your wife, could cost you your church membership, could cost you all manner of things, but it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it because he is the son of God and he is, you know, he died for you. Like what he's offering you is a free and full pardon from every sin you've ever done, full eternity, eternal life. And, and I want to be clear on all this. He's warning the crowd saying, count the cost before you follow me. It will cost you. But nobody ever followed Jesus genuinely and looked back and said, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I I can tell you now, truthfully, being born again, there is so much more joy, a genuine joy in Christ than there is in any sort of false emotional worship of God. Like, Like that doesn't produce true joy. That produces this fake, not lasting joy where you're trying to like, like, like prove to yourself you're joyful, right? Like I can be joyful in hard times now. I I used to barely be joyful in good times. And, and, you know, I wasn't even dealing with anything serious like I am now. And so you really gain, you really gain, um, you really lose nothing by following Christ. However, you know, with what he actually gives you, however, you need to be prepared to lose everything, everything your flesh would want. Like that's really the key. And so then he goes on to say there's a whole nother. So we're going to move on. That I told you, that was the crux of our video, but it gets, it gets even more important as well. So then he goes on to the next seed. He says, the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, remember the curse in the garden, thorns and thistles, the ground, the thorns are a symbol of the curse. This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And in Luke, we see it again. Luke says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. Worries, riches, pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Now listen, I understand we're all human. We all get choked with worries and riches and pleasures. I'm not saying Christians are are sinlessly perfect. What I'm saying is a Christian that doesn't actually choke out the word. It doesn't mean we're not beset with sins and we don't have, we have besetting sins. We have sins that tie us down. You know, Paul said, wretched man that I am. We are battling against sin every day. But a non-believer, they're not battling against sin. They're running headlong into it. They're walking into it and it literally chokes out the word. And so speaking of these thorns and these thistles that grow, once again, Hebrews chapter six uses the same terminology. Uh, of, of a ground being cursed and thorns and thistles. And once again, and I hate saying this, it's very scary, these verses. I wanted to hide you guys from these verses. They're so scary, but I don't do you a service hiding you from them. You need to hear these verses. You need to study them. Hebrews chapter six uses this terminology of thorns again. You're going to see it in a second. And what's it talking about? Falling away. It's, it's talking about people, not genuinely born again people. 
I could do a whole video on Hebrews 6 by itself. These people are not genuinely born again. Uh, that, that is my you know, interpretation of Scripture and many people's. But it says they've tasted the good word of God. They've tasted the powers of the age to come. They've been around the Spirit. And if they have fallen away, this is terrifying. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Whew, that terrifies me, but you need to hear that. There is a group of people on planet Earth right now that have been enlightened. They've tasted of the gift. They've been you know, around the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the word of God and seen it, and they fall away, it says. That is scary. Remember, Jesus said, for the emotional person, they fall away in times of temptation, trial, or affliction. These people also fall away. And it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. I would never go up to somebody and say, hey, I think it's impossible. That's not how you evangelize or how you speak to people. I don't know the hearts of men. But what I do know definitively, if Scripture says, and this should cause us all to fear, falling away, there is a group of people that have, and they cannot repent. They again, it says, crucify to themselves the Son of God. And they put the Son of God, they put Jesus to open shame. And then look at this same terminology from the parable. There's a line up here. It's so clear. It says the ground that drinks in the rain, rain is a gift from God, which often falls on it like the gospel. And it brings forth vegetation, plants useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But here's the thorns. If it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. He's saying there are some people that drink in the gift of God, the rain, the gospel. They hear it. They're around it. They see the power of the gospel transforming other people's lives. And they reject it. And they, they bring forth thorns and thistles. And they're close to being cursed. And, and, and they end up being burned. Jude, the book of Jude talks about apostates. And it says we need to save some of them before this happens by pulling them out of the fire hating even the clothing that has been defiled by the flesh. This is, Hebrews 6 is a serious chapter of the Bible. I have not broken it down line by line today. I do not believe it's talking about genuinely born-again people. However, what it's saying is people can be deceived into thinking they're born again and then fall away. And so how do we, how do we combat that? How do we combat people who hear the word of God, they're around it, but then because of pleasures, riches, prosperity gospel, how do, we, how, how do we make sure that they're choosing Jesus not just for what Jesus can give them, and they're not just ignoring the gospel call and going on with their own worldly pleasures? Once again, scripture, just listen to Jesus. If you examine yourself and you really believe in Jesus, you're going to listen to what he says. Look at what he says about worldly wealth. He says, he summoned the crowd uh, with his disciples. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Forever wishes to save his life is going to lose their life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Then he says this, this is huge. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, you must provide for your family. You must work. You must have a job. Um, I'm not saying you have to eat Campbell's noodles the rest of your life, right? But Jesus said you cannot serve God and money and mammon. You can't serve God and wealth. You have to choose to serve one. So you can actually make a ton of money if you're actually serving God and you happen to make a ton of money and then you're using that money to serve God. Many godly men have done that. Or you can make just enough money or even less than enough money and serve God. The point is, 
that's up to Jesus. That's not up to you anymore, beloved. That's not up to you. And so if you're holding on to that, let it go. That's just not your call to make. Speaking about this too, because as we break down these parables, you can even come across thinking, wow, Jesus is preaching a a works-based salvation. Absolutely not. This is a divine gift from God to give away wealth, to give away the authority in your own human life. Your flesh hates that. The natural man is hostile towards God. You don't naturally do it. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when they heard that, they said, well, then who can be saved? And and then Jesus shows us the grace here. He says, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Now, if you've been born again at any time in your life, you're a witness that God can do impossible things. Like, I used to love my sin, and I used to love the authority I had over my own life, and many, many, many fleshly and worldly things, including money. I cannot naturally serve God. I cannot naturally turn away from those things. It's impossible. It's not just hard. I want to make this clear. It's not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible to live the Christian life, the truly born-again Christian life, impossible to live that life without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only thing. The Spirit of Christ is the only thing that makes it possible. It is impossible. It's a gift from God. God grants repentance. The good deeds, giving away your wealth, whatever God calls you to do, he grants it. It's a gift. When he grants faith, he also grants repentance. It says the things that are impossible with people, these are possible with God. And so finally, we come to the good seed. And I love this. This is so important. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. There is much joy in Christ. But it doesn't mention that fruit here. And I think that's so key. We're talking about salvation. It's a serious thing here. And I know many emotions are involved when we're born again. We love Christ. And we even serve God in a sense, and and it brings us joy and all these great emotions. But the heart of man is deceitfully wicked, Jeremiah said. It's desperately wicked. So we can't trust emotions. Emotions are icing on the cake. When God gives it to you, thank him for him. Don't feel bad about him and enjoy him. And happiness and blessedness is a byproduct of serving God. If you just pursue happiness, you're never going to find it. But if you pursue righteousness in the kingdom of God, he'll add all that stuff to you. And so let's get to this seed. The one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit. So he hears it. He understands it. And remember, earlier in the parable, Jesus said, you understand with your heart, right? He understands it with his heart. He bears fruit and he brings forth some 100, some 60, and some 30. Not every saint is alike. Not every snowflake is alike. So how could every saint be alike? Now, in Luke, it says the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, just like I said, and they hold it fast. They hold fast their confession. They just sink their teeth into Christ and scripture, and they do not let them go, and they bear fruit, and it says with perseverance. That word is so important. You see, the way to know you're a true Christian is to persevere, not in your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're actually thankful when trials and afflictions come, because after them, you get a stronger assurance of salvation. You get a stronger joy of salvation, because your faith withstood the test, and you begin to realize, wow, 
God really saved me. I mean, look at that. This this person happened or this family member happened or I went through this sickness and yeah, I was really upset during it, but I never thought about turning on Christ. Christ was the only thing I had during it all. God was all I had during it. And, and, and your faith is grown through affliction, through temptation even, through like, wow, years ago, I used to give myself to every sin I wanted. Now I was just really tempted to do a sin and I didn't do it because I believe like I'm not trusting in my own works, but I know Christ has done something radical in my life. I, I've been born again. And so, we, you know, the true seed understands the word in his heart and the true seed perseveres. The truth is, if you ever fall away from Christ, you were never his. If you ever fully and finally fall away from Christ and deny him to your death, uh, in 1 John it says they went out from us because they were not of us. It was so that it might be seen that they were not of us. And so you must persevere. But the only reason you can persevere is because God will preserve you. It's a gift. Once again, you must persevere, but it's a gift. You must have faith in Christ, but it's a gift. You must repent, but it's a gift. It's all grace. I'm going to finish with just a few verses from John 15. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. I mean, this abiding and staying around Christ is like 99% of the Christian walk, maybe 100%. <laughs> it's everything. You just abide in him, the fruit falls off the tree. Um, and I can actually bear witness to that as someone in ministry. When I'm focused on ministry and I'm like, oh, what's the next video I'm going to put out? Who's the next person I'm going to share the gospel with? I wither, I dry, I dry up. Uh, there's no emotion. I, I lose it. But when I just focus on Christ and scripture and I'm lost in the word, man, the fruit just falls off the tree. I'm producing videos. I can't even, you know, things are just happening. I'm meeting people, telling them about Jesus because I'm not focused on what I'm going to do. I'm not focused on the works. I'm not focused on the experience or the emotions. Just focus on Christ. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I'm the vine. Remember, he's the true root. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He then goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Brothers, get into scripture. That is the very word and mind of God and Christ. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Because you'll be asking for the glory of God. You'll be asking to produce much fruit no matter what the cost. My Father is glorified by this, Jesus says. That, this is key. You bear much fruit and, once again, so prove to be my disciples. Your fruit is not why you're saved. My fruit is not why I'm saved. It's evidence that Jesus has done something for me. Jesus died for me. The Holy Spirit caused me to be born again where I repented and believed on Christ. And the Holy Spirit produces all this fruit, which proves that I'm really a disciple of Jesus. That is what this is saying. It's not a works-based righteousness, but if there's no fruit in my life and there's no understanding of the gospel and there's no desire to grow and none of those things are true, then I have strong presumptive evidence that I'm not a Christian and I need to examine myself and repent and turn to Jesus. And so finally, I just want to end with this last verse. I think it's so important. First Peter says, you've been born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. Born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God, John chapter 1. You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable. Remember, this is the true seed, guys. 
but imperishable. And that is through the living and enduring, persevering word of God. All true Christians will endure to the end because God has sovereignly ordained it. All false Christians will fall away. And that is fearful. And, and many false Christians become true Christians. The clock, is, <laughs> the clock is not struck until you are dead. And so I was a false Christian for many years, and I didn't even know it. And then I was born again. And so, and I, I, hear, I hear Christians all the time now. They grew up in church. They had, you know, in fact, I just talked to someone the other day. They grew up in church their whole life, thought they were a good person. Just a few weeks ago, all of a sudden, now they want to read the Bible all the time. Something radically different has happened. Their desires are changed. God can save you. But you've got to hear the true gospel. There's a link that you can, uh, it's going to pop up here in a second as my video ends, to the gospel. I want to make it clear. I've taught you much of the word of God today. I've not shared the full gospel. You need to hear the full gospel. Repent and believe in Jesus.